This is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today we're talking about the Bible and national defense. We're going to talk today about what about a conscientious objector, somebody who doesn't want to fight. What does the Word of God have to say about him? We'll open it up from the Word of God, explain it for you. Join me around the Word of God today. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome again to Student of the Word. Glad you're here with us today. Two days, this past two days, this is the third day, I'm teaching on the subject of the Bible and national defense, something that the Word of God has a lot to say about. And that honestly, we found about in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus introduced what was yet to come after he left the earth. Talked about there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. He said these things must come to pass. The end is not yet. And yet the greatest battle yet to be fought will be fought, and that will end all wars. And that is, of course, the battle of Armageddon, in which Jesus Christ himself personally will fight that battle. Interesting in Revelation chapter 19, we are told how he fights this battle. And the interesting thing is Jesus Christ in that verse of scripture is seen as he's always seen as the head of all the armies of heaven. Up until this time, he has fought with hosts of angels, but this time Jesus will come back by himself with the church. In Revelation chapter 19, after the judgment seat of Christ, where all the church has received their rewards, and that is the past 2,000 years of believers, they stand before the Lord and then they come back with him. I'll be with them, you'll be with them if you're a Christian. We went up at the rapture of the church seven years before this. We will not be here for the tribulation. We have not been appointed unto God's wrath. We will go to heaven while the church while the earth is being judged down here, the church will be judged or a better term would be rewarded in heaven for the good deeds they did on the earth. And so we'll come back at that time as a bride. We are not the bride yet. We're a type of the bride. Right now we are the body of Christ, but we will be fashioned into the bride. And on that day, he will present us to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Until that time, we have a long way to go. And in heaven, he will complete that. And the seven years of tribulation on the earth will be the time of judgment of the church and rewards in in heaven. Then we will come back with him in chapter 19 of Revelation as a bride adorned for her husband, we are told there. And so in this case, what's interesting is Jesus Christ is the captain of the Lord's hosts. He is seen as that way throughout the word of God. And uh, he's heads up the angels who fight for, uh, for God and against the evils that are on this earth of Satan and of men. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14, we have him displaying himself there. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 3, chapter 6 and verse 2, he shows himself again as the angel of the Lord and the Lord of hosts, which is really translated from the Hebrew Jehovah of armies. He is our five-star general. He is the one that heads up all the armies of heaven and will head us up as we come back. But the interesting thing is, in every battle that has fought, he has fought it on occasion, but mainly the angels fight for him, that is his hosts. But on the day when Jesus comes back with the church, he will literally just basically say, stand back. Every leader, every five-star general stays in the back And he's the one that sends the troops out there, but he stays back here so he can be preserved because he's the brains of this thing. He knows how to maneuver. He knows how to to, uh, send the troops out. He knows what to do. He knows where to send them. He knows where the weak points of the enemy are. He knows where their strong points of his army is and knows how to continually work that. And so again, they go out and fight. He stays in the background. In this battle though, Jesus is gonna just basically tell us, you stand in the background. I'm gonna fight this battle by myself. And again, this is in Revelation chapter 19. He will come back 
to this earth to rule and to reign forever. But first of all, he will put away all the armies of Antichrist, of Satan, the false prophet, the beast. He'll come back at that time and he's going to fight just one way, the same way he fought in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 36 and 37, when he killed 185,000 of Sennacherib's army, the single soldier in world history that killed the most people at one time is Jesus Christ. But in Revelation 19 and verse 15, he's going to come back and break his own record. And he's going to kill. And the Bible says that whenever he kills those coming at the battle of Armageddon, that the blood will run out of Jerusalem up to the horse's bridles for 185 miles. Now that is a lot of blood. He's going to come back and break his own record. And so again, we find him throughout the word of God as the leader of the hosts of the angels. And of course, he's the leader of the church and he is the captain of God's host that has always been around for a long time. And so it comes back to this, as God has set that example toward us. We should set that example, our nation. We should be training our young people to fight and to defend the country. And again, the whole nation should comply and allow the young men to be drafted. Here's a verse of scripture for you. Numbers chapter one, verses two and three. And here in numbers where they are actually taking a consensus and a census of the nation, that's why it's called numbers. We find in verse two and three, it says, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and older, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. So it's saying here in peacetime, the thing to do is start training for war yet to come. You know why you train for war? For two things. If war comes, you're prepared, but also training for war helps prevent war. You say, how in the world can that happen? Whenever a nation is about to attack you and know that you have a standing army trained and ready, it really makes them stop and think before they attack you. So literally a great offensive army coming at you will think twice when you have a national defense that stands there to stop aggression to protect your people. And this is why throughout history that peace has always come. Until Jesus comes back to this earth, peace will be won every single time by a military victory. You say, oh no, when I get born again, I have peace. Yes, but it came through a military victory where Jesus conquered and spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly and triumphed over them. He literally fought the battle at the cross, in the grave, under the earth. He fought that and then rose again from the dead triumphantly. So every even even spiritual peace that we have came through a battle. That's because Satan is a part of this earth. And from that time on, once that Satan is bound in hell, the bottomless pit for a thousand years, then after that transferred to the lake of fire forever and forever, we will have perpetual peace because we'll have no reason to fight anymore. No more battles. The author of all battles will be taken away. That's Satan himself. So it comes back to this true motivation for war comes from God himself. Now I'm saying some things here that perhaps some of you go, what are you talking about? This is not the gospel we hear. We always hear about the gospel of peace. Yes, but the peace we received was purchased through a military victory that Jesus Christ came and conquered and spoiled principalities and powers. So true motivation for war comes from God himself. David said this in Psalm 18 and verse 34, he, that is God, teaches my hands to make war so my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Even the most difficult bow made of bronze, if your if your arms are good enough, your muscles are good enough, you can bend that thing and that thing will really send a uh, arrow out. 
Psalm 144 in verse one says this, blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So David here continually over and over again, who was great in battle, even they sang about him when he came back from battle, that Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Can you imagine women going through the streets today rejoicing over how many enemy were killed in battle? And so David says, my strength didn't come from myself. My strength came from the Lord. The very first time we find that David fought publicly, he challenged Goliath on the ability of the word of God and the power of God. He said, how dare you come against the armies of the living God? And so uh, again, David won that day and he won supernaturally because the Lord blessed him, but he still had to go to battle for God to work with him. So when we send our troops out, the best thing we can do is tell those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, pray for the troops. Tell to your church members, pray for our troops. Pray for those that come from our church that are in battle right now. Pray that God would protect them. So the military is the first to suffer when a nation forgets God's word and becomes apostate, agnostic toward authority. Liberalism is Satan's device against a nation and its military. Because one of the first things that happens whenever a nation goes liberal, they start taking and dismantling the military, saying, well, we believe in peace with all nations. We believe that we can sit down with them and, and, and talk about our differences and get them all again on the same page. They may appear that way, but we're gonna find out from the word of God. It just doesn't happen that way. Nations often say they are for peace, and in the meantime, in their heart, they're really for war. They sit down at the table of peace and they lie. And this has happened throughout history. That's why the Bible says again, it's all right to have these peace talks, but don't totally trust your enemies. Watch, look out and have times where you can come back and see if it's actually taking place. So again, just warfare always has God's stamp of approval. It's what we come back to. First Chronicles chapter five and verse 22 says this, that many fell dead because the war was of God. Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven opened and I saw a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So we come back to it. We're going to start here uh, just before the break. I call it halftime. We're coming up to halftime and I'm going to start with this and then continue afterwards. What about those who believe that killing in battle is wrong? What about those who stand on the scripture, thou shalt not kill? And we've had movies made about, in fact, some of the greatest military heroes started out as conscientious objectors and Sergeant York, the movie I remember from years ago, he was raised in church, believed that killing was wrong, and yet he felt like compelled to go to war and fight for his country, didn't know, and God had revealed to him, and this story is true. He sat on the side of a hill, and he had a Bible in his hand, looking, he prayed for God to direct him, and the wind came up and began to blow the pages, and where it stopped, he looked down, and the scripture he saw was, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God, and realize there comes a time you have to keep your nation there, and therefore he went into battle. And just like at home where he came from the country, he would kill squirrels and kill other animals like that. He began to start killing the enemy of the nation, become one of our heroes. So what about those who believe that killing is wrong? Pacifists, draft dodgers, draft evaders, discourage the military from advancing on the enemy and they discourage the next generation. We'll take this up from the word of God. I came through the 1960s. I was not taken into battle. I was not drafted. Although my number came up, I did not go in. I had some some uh, some health problems that on their list there would not let me in. But I often look back on that. I've said this before. I look back on it and wish I could have gone in because I know that the discipline of it would help me earlier in life 
than, than the disciplines I found later in life. But I wish I could have gone in even to work at a, at a desk. I would have done anything to help with that military cause. But again, I did not go in. But at that time we had in the late 60s, we had pacifists and those that were leaving the country, moving off to Canada because they didn't want to fight for our country. Many of them standing on scripture that they believe that fighting against people and killing people was wrong. And we're going to find in the word of God, there are three times when it is uh, given by God where it's correct and necessary to have to kill individuals. We'll take that up from scripture. So again, when we come back to the break, we'll do that. In the meantime, the book that I am offering, The Bible and National Defense, you can find out how you can have a copy of this. And again, I highly recommend if you've got a child in the military, a grandchild in the military, uh, relatives or friends in the military that are born again, this is a great book for them to help them to totally understand from God's word, all the things that God has to say about battle and why it's important that we go to battle and fight for our God-given rights in a God-given nation. We'll see you right after the break. What does the Bible have to say about war and the price of our freedom? Should Christians fight to defend their country? Is world peace even possible? In the Bible and National Defense, Bob Yandian discusses the Bible's answer to these questions, as well as how we, as Christians, are to pray for our nation and our leaders. Topics include the purpose of government, crime and immorality, capital punishment, separation of church and state, and freedom and war. The strength of a nation is the people of God. By prayer and applying God's word, we can make a difference. To order the Bible and National Defense, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified, redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, Come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 32. We're going to take a look at verses 6 through 10. When we talk about those who believe that killing is wrong at, across the board. Some won't even kill animals and, you know, things like that. And uh, yet God was the first one to kill an animal. When Adam and Eve sinned, he killed an animal and took the, the, uh, 
the coat of the animal and put it on them as clothing. So God again showed there's proper times for the killing of it, for the preserving and the warmth and the strength of natural life in people. So, uh, you know, again, I told you I came up through the 1960s and pacifists and draft dodgers were there. And there were some that just were just cowards. I mean, I have to admit that there were just some young men that were just cowards, didn't want to go at all. And they hid behind the fact they didn't want to go to war. But there was also some genuine believers, Christians, who found in the scriptures against killing. And yet they knew that the Bible talked about them in battle, especially the Old Testament, is histories of Israel going to war and God even helping them to kill the enemy. I think of one story in the book of Joshua around chapter 10, where five nations came against Israel at that time. Five armies joined together and God actually sent hailstones from heaven, gigantic ones, I'd say probably the size of bowling balls. They came down and crushed the enemy. God helped them in battle when they cried out to the Lord, even stopped the earth from rotating where the sun stayed up for a long period of time to give them daylight so they could finish fighting a battle. Incredible how God worked with them. And how can God on that side who helped in war and even kills in war and even gives people the power to kill in war to preserve a nation, how can he be against killing in in battle? And how can he just make one common statement, thou shalt not kill? Let's take a look here in Numbers chapter 32. Let's start with verse six as we go down through verse 10. And if you're still looking for that verse of scripture, I want to again say thank you to all who support my broadcast. I'll tell you, I have more fun doing this, but you know what? The fun that I have doing this and the enjoyment I have teaching the word of God comes because there's people out there helping me to pay the bills. And it costs money to come on television. It costs money to produce these. It costs money to buy cameras and all the different equipment we have, the mixing equipment, all of those things. It takes money for that. But you know what? You are the ones called by God to hold up my hands and cause that to come to pass. I'm the one who preaches the word. You're the one that makes it possible for me to preach the word. If you are not one who stands with me, a partner in this ministry, I want to invite you to become a partner. I want you to say, Pastor Bob, I want to be a part of your ministry. And I want to take student of the word and help expand it even to further places. If you would like to do that, to join me in this, be one of those who holds up my hand, uh, then I want you to go to bobyandian.com. Go to my website. On there, you'll find a place where you can become a partner with me. And I want to thank you in advance. Say thank you for helping me. And uh, those who have joined me already, thank you to those who have been members of this uh, army that I have. And those who stand by my side, partners with me for years. And those who've joined me in the past numbers of months and those of you about to join me together, I simply wanted to say this. You may not see me in life. You may only see me on a screen. I may never see your face in this life, but in heaven, we'll know each other. And we can begin to join together and see all our results around us. Uh, people have been born again. And even more than that, a massive number of people who became disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ through the teaching of the word of God. Numbers chapter 32, verses six through 10 says this, Moses said to the children of God and to the children of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea into the land. From when they went to the valley of Eshcol, saw the land they discouraged, it discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so they did not go into the land which the Lord God had given to them. We have two tribes here that stayed on the on one side of Jordan. The other 10 tribes went on in. And here we find Josh was not upset with them. And Moses won't be upset with them if they go on in and those who stayed on one side. He simply wants them to know. 
he said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, he said this, don't let them go into the land. You think because they're in the land that I gave for them, they're going to defend it. No, you're part of us. And though you're on this side of Jordan, I want you to fight with us. He said, if you don't fight with them, two tribes not fighting will help discourage the 10 tribes that are fighting. Because if you're getting free, what's happening, they're purchasing freedom. They're purchasing freedom from that land, but that freedom comes over and affects you on this side. And I want you to fight with them. And he says in verse seven again, why will you discourage the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea. He said, I sent 12 spies in and 10 came back with a bad report. And it went through the whole nation. A bad report can affect the entire nation. And discouragement got in the hearts of the people. And they wandered for another 39 years in the desert because of that bad report. Now we're getting ready to go into the land. And we got two tribes that aren't going over. I want to make sure before you don't go over that you do cooperate with us in the battles. You will come over across the Jordan, fight with us, and then come back to your land. Because you're fighting for your freedom as well as the freedom for the other 10 tribes. And what they said was, Moses, we will. We guarantee we will fight with them because we don't want to discourage the hearts of them like those 10 spies who came back, discouraged the nation and even the children after them from wanting to fight in battle. This is what happens when people again become draft dodgers, draft evaders, those that won't fight with the nation standing on what they call God's word, when they're really pulling verses out of context, you begin to discourage people. I know during the time, again, like I said, of the late 60s, the 70s, when there was draft dodgers, and they so discouraged them that they actually made it to where now we have a volunteer army. And you know what? It takes a lot of training, and it takes a lot of preaching. It takes a lot of instructing to young men for them to voluntarily choose to go into the military. Again, I've told you from the word of God, the nation of Israel, there was no volunteer army. Once you got to the age of 20, if you were in, if you were in any kind of good condition at all, you went to fight for the nation. And today, even in Israel, even young women go and fight. I've been there, seen the young women standing on the corners, on the tops of the buildings in uniform with their rifles. And you know what? It makes me feel safe. It makes it doesn't make me angry that they're carrying guns or angry that there could be possibly war. It makes me feel safe that anyone that's going to attack this nation has to come through a great defense of young people trained in the military. Look at verses 14 through 23 while you're there in that passage of scripture. And here's what it says. Here is again Moses speaking to these two tribes, Gad and Reuben. You have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. In other words, yes, we're going to stay here and we're going to become farmers and we're going to raise uh, animals and crops. Yes, we'll do that. But when it comes time for war, we will take the men and we will come over and we will fight with you. This is exactly what Moses wanted to hear. 
In verse 18, they went on to say, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, if you will do this thing, if you will arm yourself before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued. We have that word. We've run across it before. Crushed underfoot. And the land is crushed underfoot, the inhabitants before the Lord. Then afterwards, you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. If you don't go to war and fight for your nation when you're fully capable of doing it, he says in this verse of scripture, you will not be blameless before the Lord and you will not be blameless before the inhabitants of the land you live in. And believe me, many left in the 1960s, early 70s, went up and uh, into Canada and escaped and went up there. I've often wondered what happened to them because when they did, they forfeited their American citizenship all for this reason of we don't want to fight for the land. And it's amazing the land they lived in the United States was purchased through the blood of patriots who gave their lives for God and for the nation and helped to bring it to that point because God has fought with us in our own national history. Let's go back to verse 20. 22. Here he says again, Moses did, the land is subdued or crushed underfoot before the Lord. Then afterwards, you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall you possess before the Lord. Look at verse 23. But if you do not do this thing, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. How many times have we quoted that verse of scripture? Be sure your sins will find you out. And we make it plural. This is singular. And the Lord here was not referring to the fact that your sins will find you out. Although your sins will find you out, that's not what this verse is saying. The sin, he said, that will find you out is that you didn't fight for your country. He calls evading your responsibility to, to go to the military and fight for your nation as a sin. And he said, it will find you out. You know how it will find you out? Not only will it bring reproach against you, but your children will follow after you. Your grandchildren will follow after you. It's exactly what happened in Israel. And it took Moses and his preaching to turn the people around and especially the men to fight for the nation. You have the freedom to fight for your country. You also have the freedom not to fight for your country, but that freedom was provided by men who shed their blood for it. Defensive killing is acceptable to God for nation and for home. We'll talk about that. Defense killing. Again, this is national defense, not national offense. We are not out to go create wars and create battle, but when we are attacked, and oftentimes we wait a long time to make sure that they really are doing that. And as far as I'm concerned, in World War II, we waited too long and it took the Pearl Harbor to finally wake us up and get us into that battle. But boy, thank God he came along and helped us. And we ended up being the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time and still until today. So the point I'm simply bringing out here, it comes that national freedom comes from national defense and killing for your nation. That really the freedoms we have every day came from accepting the fact that we need to go to war, accepting the fact we had to go to war and went to war, not wanting to, but having to, and God coming through and again, establishing our nation. My dad fought in World War II. And when he came out, I mean, he did not like the fighting at the time and things, but when it came out, 
it was all over. He looked back on that time and said, nations came together like never before. Individuals came together like never before. Nationalities came together like never before for a common cause. And that was fighting against Germany and also fighting against Japan and fighting against the nations that joined with them at that time. And God brought great victory. Out of times when it looked like we were outnumbered, we should have been killed. Weather changed, uh, conditions changed, uh, intelligence changed, all the different things and caused the other uh, side to go and do wrong things. And with a few, we killed many. Throughout the word of God, God has never fought with large armies in Israel. He's always taken a few and conquered the many. That's the God we serve. When we come back tomorrow, we'll talk about what about diplomacy? Should we have peace conferences? We'll talk about that when we come back tomorrow. It's been great with you today. I'll see you manana. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.